This podcast is a production of the Healthy Mormon Journeys Foundation, a nonprofit that offers no cost counseling for families in need. HMJ is dedicated to keeping marriages, families, and all relationships strong during faith journeys or growing differences in belief because love is more important than disagreements over religion. I'm here now to listen and give impartial relationship advice to callers. If you'd like to call in with your question, reach out to mormonjourneys.org. This podcast relies solely on the support of listeners like you. All donations are 100% tax-deductible, and HMJ will use all funds to produce this podcast and offer free counseling for those who cannot afford it. Thank you for your support. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Mojo Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christy Money, and I am delighted to be here tonight with two amazing people I care about a great deal, Mitzi and Scott Cannon. Mitzi and Scott, thank you for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us back. I'm, I'm just so excited. All right, so um, Mitzi and Scott will likely be very familiar to most of you because I interviewed them last year for a previous podcast, and due to popular demand, because so many people related so much to their story, I re-released over the last few weeks here on Healthy Mojo a double episode in which they talked about their lives, their marriage, and in particular the role that Mormon teachings about sexuality and porn had affected their lives until that point. Uh, Now, since those original episodes were recorded last year, a lot has happened since then, and as I've mentioned before, when possible, I'm hoping to bring people back to the podcast to have, you know, been on before to hear how things went after they had some time to work on, you know, whatever we talked about originally to, you know, just to follow up and see how things are. So, Mitzi and Scott were wonderfully willing to be uh, the first of this type of revisiting episode, and and I couldn't be more excited to talk to them. And follow up. So to kick things off, I would love to hear from each of you in turn what's happened. So first, Mitzi, um, last time we talked, you were still attending church because you know, while you loved and respected Scott's decision to leave, you still had a testimony. So where are you at now? Yeah, we are both out all the way now. So last we talked last the end of May last year and last April. I had emailed my parents that I had actually planned to go inactive with Scott. Mm -hmm. And then, and I emailed my family and and close friends. And that was just the worst couple of days of my whole life. Like I just have never cried more than, you know, disappointing my family in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. I'm I'm already feeling all the feels because we've like been recapping everything and this last year has been crazy. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm already at a um, emotional point. But uh, anyway, when I emailed my family and told them I was going to take a break with Scott, the reason that I did that was because I couldn't handle going to church by myself with my kids and having everyone in the ward look at me as so strong and faithful and wonderful when I wasn't, when I was struggling, when I didn't, I wasn't sure if I had a testimony anymore. Mm-hmm. And so my plan was just to go inactive with Scott. But then um, that, that first Sunday I was supposed to not go to church was fast Sunday. And I woke up at five in the morning and I felt like I should go to church and bear my testimony. And, and so I did. I kind of bore my non-testimony. Mm. I got up very first and 
told them my plan to to go inactive and um oh yeah and 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 that scott was going to go inactive and but then i was just like but here i am like i love you all because i i do like i have so much love for my ward members but and was it your mom like fasting for oh you my whole family of course was fasting yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. anyway so i just told them that um I was planning going to active, but then here I was, and I didn't know what I know, and um, that we should have love and compassion for each other, the end, and I sat down, mm-hmm. and um, and then I just went for the next four months by myself with the kids, trying to do the middle road, and it just did not work for me. I couldn't, I couldn't go from being who I was and super hardcore and all in to being less in. Like, I just didn't work with my brain, with my personality, to just take things less seriously. Like, I just couldn't take things less seriously, and I couldn't do that with my kids. Like, when I wasn't all in, I couldn't take them and teach them these things if I didn't fully believe it. So, um, anyway, during that time, I, I asked them to put me in the nursery so that I could not have to go to Sunday school and not have to go to Relief Society. Mm-hmm. And I went visiting teaching but I wouldn't share the message. So anyway, that was kind of my middle road for four months, but I, it ended, but I'm before I'm going to keep going with that. Scott's going to kind of go back and tell. Yeah. So, um, when we, I think when we recorded the last episode, it was, um, also on a Saturday night and I mentioned that I was going to get up and, and bear my kind of farewell testimony and, uh, Right. I did that, uh, actually, and recorded it. So uh, I don't know if we want to cross-post that somewhere. I'd be willing to just share that recording. I've shared it with with a number of, of people and um, mm-hmm. have had pretty positive um, responses to that because, you know, I the, the reason I did it was because um, – so in my time winding down as elders quorum president, um, when I kind of knew that like I was not in a good place and, um, I was kind of on my, my way out probably. Um, and, and again, I, the, the porn thing was still a big issue and I, and I hadn't come out to, to Mitzi about it yet, but I started talking about it more in lessons to try to advocate for a more, um, reasonable, less reactionary and kind of more compassionate and understanding approach, Mm -hmm. um, to the issue, um, with people in the ward. And as a result of that, I had several opportunities where people reached out to me from the ward to talk to me about, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, I, I walked in on my teenage son and found him looking at porn and I kind of freaked out and stuff. And now I don't know if that was a good thing to do. (laughs) And so, and you're one of the only people who seems like knows anything and we'll talk about this. So can you kind of talk me through it? Um, And then had other people, you know, who were like, Oh, I'm going through a big issue, you know, some big issues with my wife with this and, you know, and, it's been really hard. And so I knew that there were numerous people in the ward dealing with this, but no one was talking to each other. Everyone was just suffering and trying to make it work within this very 
um, ineffective church model. Um, and so I decided, I was like, you know what, this is going to be kind of my, my last hurrah call for, for change because I don't, I can't stay here. I can't stay here and keep doing this. It's too, it's too painful for me to be here. I don't believe it anymore. I've suffered, you know, tremendously because of a bunch of stuff that was not true. Um, and so, but I want to get up and I want to put a face that everybody knows to this problem mm -hmm. and kind of force them to look at it and deal with it and say, you know, this is not something that happens to other people, you know, in other wards. This is ha this is something that impacted someone, you know, a family that was very involved, you know, that, you know, was we were a big part of the ward and I wanted to to put that out there. Uh, so I did. So I, I wrote I wrote out a testimony sharing kind of the whole gory story um, and talking about, you know, just the depression and the suicidality and the just never feeling worthy, feeling like God hated me, um, being terrified that my son, you know, was going to grow up to be like me and go through the same thing and that I might end up burying my son, you know, if he actually pulled the trigger where I hadn't yet, you mm -hmm. know, and just like, and I couldn't live with myself, you know, taking that risk. Right. Um, and so, you know, and, and I said, I know that a lot of you are going to want to come and talk to me and tell me, you know, Oh, you, you misunderstood or, Oh, you just took this stuff too seriously and everything. But I said, you know, it's too, the damage has already been done for me and it's going to take a long time to undo. So all these things you want to say to me, go and find 14 year old me sitting here in this room and tell him all those things, tell him not to worry, tell him, He's not a bad person. Tell him everything's going to be okay. And then I walked out of the chapel and haven't been back since. And Mitzi stayed for the remaining three hours of church. <laughs> I did. Well, what yeah. was that like for you, Mitzi? Oh, my gosh. That was so crazy for the whole ward. Like, when, who has ever heard of anything like this happening? I mean, Scott spoke for the last 18 minutes of church, of uh, sacrament meeting. And immediately after, like, someone in the ward came and sat by me and hugged me and was like, oh, my husband looks at porn too, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't care. Like, please don't come and hug me and make me a poor porn wife. Like, I'm not interested in joining that club. Like, did you just listen to his testimony, like, did you hear the pain <laughs> that he's gone through? And then you come and say, I'm sorry to me. It was just <laughs> like, oh, people are never going to get it. Mm -hmm. Like, anyway, so that was just kind of funny. And mm -hmm. then I actually went and I had to sub um, primary. I was the music leader that day. And I don't know. I just had held it together somehow. <laughs> they were wow. like, they're like, are you sure? And I was like. Yep. 
Yeah, mm. it was crazy. And then just going to church by myself with the kids for four months, like after we put it all out there. Yeah. Like, talk, the whole word, like. Talk to me about that. Tell me about those four months because, I mean. That I, was so hard. I felt I'm, so exposed and so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, you know, was wanting to go and try to do it. But that's why I asked the bishop to put me in nursery because I was like, I cannot go to church being so exposed and I kind of needed to go so that I can still be going and taking my kids. Cause I wasn't ready to disrupt their life in that way. And, but I could still be there and not be there. I was just back in the corner, you know? So that was the only solution that I could think of to stay was to be in the nursery. And plus I didn't want to listen to whatever they were saying in Sunday school or Relief society. So I yeah. just kind of asked to be hidden a little bit. So it was like I was still engaged, but not engaged, you know? Yeah, a lot of people do that, and uh, it, it can work for a while, sometimes years. But uh, tell me about how, you know, what, what emotions were going on with you um, on this faith journey. I mean, it must have been a, a roller coaster of a, oh, yeah. the it last four to six months. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was horrible. I so crying. much crying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So much crying. It was horrible because I I loved I loved the church so much and I love being Mormon so much and it worked for me for so long that it was so hard when it started to not work anymore and to just feel like I don't fit in anywhere and there's nowhere for me to be. It was it was a tough time and that's why I like held on as long as I could trying to do the middle road because I just didn't want to let it go. Mm-hmm. But what kind of helped me, I mean, I can't stay stuck for a long time. Like I'm just not about misery. So <laughs> as, after a certain point, I was just like, this isn't working. I can't stay. But I was like, how do I leave? Like, how can you leave? Like I would listen to all of these Mormon stories and all these people would be talking about like how they discovered the church wasn't true or whatever. And they left and how they were just like, oh, I'm so much happier now. And I was just like, how, like, how, how is that possible? I just was like, I don't understand how they could just flip a switch like that and just be like, oh, cool. Awesome. This is so much better. That was not my experience. Mm-hmm. I would reach out to total strangers online from like private Facebook groups um, and be like that were further along than me and just be like, how are you doing it? Like, I don't, I'm, I'm totally losing it over here. So I private messaged lots of strangers and they were wonderful. And I also, um, before when I decided I needed to leave, I knew I needed to talk to someone on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so I messaged a couple of inactive people in my ward that I kind of knew, but not really like kind of strangers. And I told them that I was thinking about leaving the church and would they, would they meet with me? And, and they did like one of them came over to our house at nine o'clock at night and we didn't really know each other. And we just had this like wonderful conversation. And I asked, cause she left the church when she, her kids were little like us and she has right. She's been out for quite a while. And I asked her how it is like raising your kid raising your kids out of the church. And anyway, so that was really good. And then I met with this other girl too, and just talked to her about it. And she's like one of my good, good friends. Now we get together all the time and it's so nice because she's my neighbor because she's in the ward boundaries. So that's, that's been amazing. 
And then just reading books helped me like Brene Brown, you know, Daring Greatly and just anything that I could read to like be brave and authentic and true to myself. And I read um, the book Troublemaker by Leah Ramini, and that was kind of helpful too. It was helpful to see that Scientology is similar, but like way worse <laughs> than Mormonism, but yeah. like kind of see connections and be mm-hmm. like, she left, I can leave, you know? And I remember watching um, the documentary called um, Amish the Shunned and really relating to that documentary because so many of those people didn't fit into either world. And that's how, where I was at for a long time where I was like, I'm not Mormon. I'm not ex Mormon. Like there's nowhere for me to be. And so that was just helpful to watch and to see other people. Um, even though their experience was totally different with a different religion, but like to, to feel the similar feelings that I was feeling Mm -hmm. was helpful. But what made me kind of decide like I needed to leave was when, the lessons in nursery started bothering me. I'm like, if I can't even handle what they're teaching in nursery, like I need to leave. (laughs) I cannot be in the church anymore. But I was like, how, and how am I going to do this? Like I, but what helped kind of push me into it was it was almost the primary program. And I was like, okay, this is it. I've got a good excuse to something to get me out. I don't want my kids getting apart and participating in that. And so we're just leaving. So that week I emailed the primary president and I emailed the bishop and I was like, we're done. Don't give them parts in the, in the primary program. And then I ended up writing a blog post about leaving Mormonism and I posted it on Facebook that week. And I haven't been back since. Wow. Yeah. And, and when was that? When did you post? So that was last September, September. that I posted Mm-hmm. Okay. Blog posts, yeah. Mm. And how? And I you... wish that I could go back a little bit. Like, uh, there's been some mission farewells and homecomings, but like, I just can't. Especially in my, in our ward here, we've been to like baby blessings and baptisms, like things that are separate and like in a different ward. I can kind of handle doing better, but like my home ward, there's too many feelings there, and I just can't. At this point, I just can't go back even to support someone. It's too too painful mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, yeah, it can be for a lot of people. And how how are you feeling now about what you had said earlier on feeling in between places that you're you know you're not really Mormon anymore, not really ex Mormon, like uh, just as a gauge tonight. You know how how are you feeling about that? Um, I am feeling like an ex-Mormon, but I'm feeling like I kind of hate it a lot of times, which we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about it later as we kind of progress. Yes. But I definitely don't feel, I feel ex-Mormon because I'm still Mormon, you know, like I will always have that in my blood, in my heritage, in my brain, like that's not going away, but I'm ex-Mormon. I don't believe it anymore. I don't, none of it speaks to me anymore, but I think it's really hard at this point. At this point, I think it's really hard being an ex-Mormon, and we'll talk about that later. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that. Okay, so um, where do you want to go now, then? Um, yeah, I think I'll I'll pick up um, a little bit. So uh, it was it was interesting um, to kind of see the reactions that I got from people since I didn't go back and kind of see who who sought me out after 
um, after my farewell address. And uh, oh, real quick, sorry. Mm-hmm. One lady did come up to me and hugged me and said, "Tell Scott, thank you." He said, and she said, "I tell my son all the time that he's not bad." Mm-hmm. So Aww. that was the one comment from the ward that mm-hmm. I heard. But even just having one person say that was just like, I'm so glad Scott did that. Yeah. Anyway, wow. carry on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it was funny. Um, so I left uh, after that, and uh, and a, a little while after I got home, uh, I got a knock on the door, and it was a member of the bishopric, um, who's just this very kind man, lots of kids, lots of teenage boys. Um, and uh, he came over to talk to me, and it was funny. He actually said that um, he came over because because we had we had talked to the bishop like when when i when we tell people about this they're just like the bishop let you do that like they didn't you know you know cut off the mic and like make you sit down or anything and and they they didn't because the bishop we had talked to him and he was very aware of kind of our situation and our story and um also i think that they uh you know were it was really nice like they gave me the benefit of the doubt that I wasn't going to get up and just like blast the church and, and say a bunch of really, you know, hurtful and, and, um, you know, offensive stuff. Um, but I got up, you know, to be, you know, with a desire to help and be constructive, even though what I was talking about was a really uncomfortable, um, and painful topic. Um, and so then, so they, they let me, they let me do it. And after I sat down, the bishop actually got up and kind of closed the meeting. And he, you know, uh, talked, talked about the touch of the master's hand and kind of the atonement and all that stuff. But anyway, this, this member of the bishop Rick came over and said that some, uh, some elderly woman in the ward had come up to him after the meeting and said, is somebody going to go and talk to him? Like, <laughs> and he was like, oh, I guess maybe we should. And so so he came over at the behest of this concerned um, elderly sister in the ward um, and, and talked to me about it. And uh, it was a really interesting conversation. But the, the thing that stood out to me the most was kind of where he said, um, you know, I have boys, you know, and I was a teenager once and, you know, had cousins and all this stuff and everyone would get into some sort of trouble or another. And, and so, you know, we, we know that everybody's going through this and, and I was expressing concern about how, you know, the chastity and stuff like that was being taught to the young men in the ward and, and stuff like that. And if he was concerned about the messages, maybe his sons were, were receiving and stuff like that. And he said, well, we know everybody's going to struggle with this, with this stuff. Um, but we, but we don't want to talk about, we don't want to talk about the struggles and we don't want to talk about the problems. Um, because we don't want people, we don't want people thinking it's so that's okay. We want to talk about the ideal, you know, and the standard. So that's what we, that's what we discuss in, you know, in church, because that's what we want people, you know, aspiring to. And that was just so sad to me and yet so um reflective of my experience too and i was just like yeah there was no for all i knew i was the only one with this problem because no one ever talked about ever and and when we did talk about it like this is so bad and blah 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 everything like that but like yeah all it was talking about was what the standard was what the ideal was what was expected 
and there was no room for anyone to really be struggling um, with it. And so I kind of pushed back on that and, and said, you know, that that was um, that kind of message was really problematic for me um, because it didn't give room for people to make mistakes and still be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that was an interesting conversation. Um, I also had a, a former, uh, one of the former bishops of the ward came over and um, which is interesting because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know him very well, um, but he, he, he came over and um, we were talking and he was just really trying to say like, Hey man, like cut yourself some slack. Like this is like, you're fine. You know, just come back. We love you. You know, God loves you. And I was like, well, you see, the problem is like, I, I know that now, <laughs> Mm-hmm. but I believe for so long that he didn't because of stuff that I was taught and I read and I, and I pulled up this list. I, I made a list of, of the worst, most harmful scriptures that I had read as a kid, you know, and, and an adult, you know, but all the scriptures just haunted me. Um, and were just really awful for me. You know, Alma 39, five, the NC 82, uh, six and seven, I think it is. And, you know, some of these others that are just so, um, harsh. And I, I showed that to him and I was like, I was like, this, this is the stuff that, you know, makes it really hard for me to be able to come back. And he said, you know what you need to do with that? Just throw that away. You know, just pretend like those scriptures don't exist. And he's like, God knows that no one can live up to those standards. You know, that's what the atonement's for. And he's just like, just don't take it so seriously. And that, again, was just so, you know, just like, where was that when I was 14? Right. And 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 why, you know, remember the bishopric saying, we can't talk about, you know, struggles and people making mistakes and, 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 and still being okay. Because we want to talk about the standard, which is basically what was on that list of scriptures. What was expected of you by, you know, by an exacting God um, who wants you to be perfect. And, you know, and then this bishop's telling me, it's like, no, just don't, like, just forget about that stuff. Don't worry about it. And, and, and I got that from several people from, from uh, Mitzi's older brother, who was also a bishop. He was just like, man, you can't take that stuff so seriously. And I was just like, what are you talking about? I can't take this stuff seriously. Like, you know, what, what about all this stuff about, you know, whether by my own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same, you know, and the prophet will never lead the church astray. And this is the only true and living church on the face of the earth. And, you know, all of this stuff that's saying you do need to take this seriously, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then having all these people like seeing how harmful it was for me to take it seriously and telling me I was doing it wrong, you know? So that was, it, it was just, it was just really interesting to see. And, and kind of the conclusion I've, I've come to with that is that it's the people, it seems like the people who give themselves some wiggle room, and cut themselves some slack in the church are able to, to do it and have it be a good experience. Mm-hmm. But the people like me who take it real, really seriously and are trying to know like 
what the truth is and what God expects and what they have to do and trying really to do it um, as perfectly as they can, it just, you know, it it can break you. Um, and so, yeah, it was just... <laughs> It, it was it was nice to have have the people come come and seek seek me out um, after that, but it, it also just kind of reinforced to me that um, why why the church did not work for me um, in the end, and and why you know there are there are people who can do great in the church. And there are other people for whom it can just be a disaster. And unfortunately, I was in the latter group. Right. Wow. Yeah. A lot happened and yeah. pretty quickly, too. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, that kind of messaging, um, you know, about self-worth and, you know, taking things very, very seriously about, uh, you know, born as a sin and, and um, you know, like you had said, by my, by my voice, by whether by my own voice or my, the voice of my sermons is the same. I mean, that, that, that uh, kind of messaging uh, doesn't just wash off pretty easily, right? I mean, where, where do you feel like you're at with that now? I mean, how, yeah, um, how are you feeling? Yeah, so I'm, I'm completely just over it. Like, I, um, when, I when I left, you know, Mitzi was still, was still going, um, and it just, it was, it was interesting. Like we, so in the fall when, when she stopped going, um, we started going to a couple of, a couple of other churches trying to find one that was maybe not so, you know, so strict and, and a little more flexible. So we actually tried the, uh, RLDS, um, or the community of Christ mm-hmm. congregation here, um, in Boise and, uh, and we went there and, you know, and it was fine. It was, it was fine. It was, it was better, but I found they were talking about, they were talking about Jesus and they were talking about how he came and died to save us from our sins. And that was so upsetting to me. Um, <laughs> and I didn't really realize it till we were driving home but I mean, my, I just started to get really agitated and tense up and like my chest got tight as they were talking about Jesus, you know, and about his sacrifice for us and to save us and all this stuff. And as we were driving home, I realized I'm just like, I can't even handle the concept of Jesus because Jesus is the whole idea behind Jesus is that he came to save us because there's something wrong with us. <laughs> and I cannot handle anybody else telling me there's something wrong with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm like, I have, I have felt like there is something wrong with me, that there were many things wrong with me for so long. And I just want to feel okay with myself and with who I am. And so I don't even know if I can, I can subscribe to Christianity anymore because baked into it is the idea that I need fixing and I don't want anything to do with that. Um, and so we, then we went and tried a, 
um, Unitarian Universalist Church, and that's the one I like the best because they are very kind of upfront about like just how they really don't have any orthodoxy, and their their belief is spread love and kindness and compassion around the world and make the world a better, kinder, more accepting place. Yeah, like their thing is um, social justice and mm-hmm. inclusion. And it's yeah. like any whatever whenever they're talking in church, it's like all the messages I can always get behind, all of them. Mm-hmm. And instead of going to church and learning about why we're weak and bad, we go to church and learn about how we can be more loving of other people. I'm like, I love this. I love mm-hmm. these messages yeah. so much more. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so... Um, I think if there is a church that I would want to go to, it would be that one. But I, I just have a hard time with going to church at all, um, at, at, at this point. Um, and, but it's funny too, like, I also don't want to, um, accept the label atheist either because then I feel like I would have to be a good atheist and I would have to follow the atheist rules and I don't want anyone telling me what I can and can't believe or what I can and can't do ever again. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, I am, I am whatever I am. Like, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. Um, and I don't even know what I know and I don't know anything. And I'm actually okay with that. And I'm not interested in anybody else trying to tell me, what is right and what is wrong or what I need to believe and what I can't believe and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, I just, uh, that, that's, that's where, where I'm at. And, and I really like that. Um, I, I don't know if we talked about this in the prior podcast, but as we were talking about, you know, should we stay in the church? Should we leave the church and stuff like that? This was earlier on in the process. I made a big pros and cons list of, you know, staying versus leaving. And you made a spreadsheet. Yeah. I made a spreadsheet (laughs) with all this stuff and, uh, very analytical again, that perfectionistic, I wanted to try and find what the real, you know, truth was and do it right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway, on, on that list, I remember the thing that stuck out to me more than anything else on that list that I really, really liked and that I really looked forward to if we did leave the church was intellectual freedom. And the ability to believe what I felt like I wanted to believe and what made sense to me um, and to no longer have to, um, you know, argue from the consequent or, you know, do that kind of stuff you have to do in the church where it's like you already know the answers and then you have to you have to fit everything into the conclusions that you already that you already know. Um, and that just, the idea of being able to see something like seeing someone who is not Mormon, who is happy (laughs) and a good person, (laughs) yeah, and a good person and kind, and just being able to accept that they are that way, you know, and not have to somehow like say, oh, they're secretly, they're secretly a hole in their soul because they don't have the gospel. You know, and they just think they're they're happy, but they don't know what true happiness is because they don't have the gospel. And all all that crazy stuff that you have to do um, when 
when the church is the one and only true and right way for everybody and just being able to throw that burden off and just kind of take in the world as it comes and, you know, and change my opinion and change my, you know, beliefs about things based on new information and new experiences um, just was so exciting and felt so invigorating to me. So I guess you could say that's that's my gospel and that's my belief at this point. Fair enough. Thanks, Scott, for sharing. And how about you, Mitzi? Are you you feeling more at home with the with the new community with the Unitarians, or what's going on oh, with you? Um, I I don't go there very much. I've went I go there sometimes. So I'm not ready to commit to another church for one thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not very fun to go to church by yourself. <laughs> yeah. I so. I wish I wish I wanted to go with her because I'm like I like this congregation, I like the pastor, I like, you know, what they talk about, but I just don't want to go. <laughs> and I wish I did because I want to, you know, and, and go to to support Mitzi with it and I I'm hoping that I will get to the point where where I do want to go and, and maybe we'll go as a family. Cause I do miss like some of that structure and kind of, you know, routine and, and kind of family identity stuff that you get from being actively involved with a community and, and sharing those experiences as a family. But I'm, I'm just not there yet. Yeah. So I'm still like, I go sometimes, uh, my five-year-old likes to go with me. So <laughs> we go just <laughs> she and I go all time. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I, I really like listening to, like, Rob Bell. He has podcasts. He's like a – I think he used to be a preacher, but he had his own faith crisis too, And but he still writes books and podcasts about the Bible, but he's just very open and very um, – anyway, I can just get behind the things that he says. I like him, and mm – -hmm. I'm still, I might, I want to try to start meditation, but I haven't really yet. You know, there's things I'm still trying to engage with my spirituality, but it's kind of like, you know. Yeah. Um, you're a bit yeah. You're, and you're a bit exhausted, understandably. Yes. After, yes. after quite the journey. Yeah. yeah. So, and you know what? On, uh, on that note, actually, just the exhaustion note, um, that that's a kind of a big theme of this last year is just how tiring, how tired we both have been for this entire year of going, going through like this process. Three years. Three years. I yeah. Mean, but years since the last, yeah. last podcast, um, you know, so, so one of the things that, that happened with me too, kind of as a, re, as a result of this was um, so around Around the time that we did the podcast last year, I had just started a new job, which I actually got through a lady in, in our ward. Um, and uh, it was, you know, and I've never really had kind of a, a normal type, you know, eight to five. You actually go to a building and, you know, clock in, clock out type job. Uh, and so I felt like I was kind of excited about that, like, oh, this is going to actually bring some stability to our life with all of this craziness going on. Um, and so, you know, and it was a job that I was, you know, on paper kind of overqualified for. So I'm like, oh, okay, great. Like I should be able to get in and do this and really succeed and, and go some, go someplace. 
Um, and it didn't work out like that, um, unfortunately. And uh, I just really struggled at it, which I, I hadn't anticipated. Um, and, you know, and, and things just kind of snowballed in the sense that I... So I was, I was going, I was going in and, um, you know, like I, I had this, I had this problem and I've had it for a long, long time and I don't know if it's medical or, or what, but, um, where I fall asleep a lot. Um, I fall asleep in class all the time in college, you know, I almost would fall asleep at the wheel. Um, sometimes, you know, driving like I can, um, and I've kind of learned my limits a little bit and, uh, I now will pull over and take a power nap. So I, you know, don't go off the road and stuff like that, but I was in this job and I was trying to learn all this new, this new system and everything like that. And it would just make me so tired and I'd have to get up and like go get a drink and, uh, you know, get up and walk outside and like slap myself or I would be like pinching myself through my pockets, like or biting my tongue and just doing anything I could to try and wake myself up. Um, wow. and, uh, yeah. And, but I would doze off and stuff like that and people would see and like, and then I, they would report me and stuff like that. And everyone was kind of nice about it at first, but then it kept happening. Like, and I mean, I was trying what everything I knew how to do, but I was just like, man, this is, and the the reason I'm talking about this is because it, it played right into kind of this this church trauma of again there's something wrong with me. It's just like I'm in this job like I have you know on paper all this experience and qualification and everything where I should be really good at it and I'm failing because I have this weird problem that nobody else seems to have and nobody can relate to. And I can't seem to get a hold of, get a, a handle on it. Um, and so I just started feeling so anxious and, and just hated going in to work. Um, because I just felt like, I just felt like I was, you know, like, all right, one more, one more mistake and you're done, you know, and it's, and it's over. And I was just like, oh, this is like how I felt my entire life, you know, mm -hmm. like one, one slip up that gets noticed, you know, and I get outed as this, you know, porn addict or whatever, and my whole life explodes. And so I get going in and I was just like, this is, I can't handle this. And so I, uh, September, um, about the same time Mitzi, uh, stop going to church. I, I, uh, put in my notice and, and quit my job. Um, and I had a couple of other little things going on that were providing some kind of passive income. Uh, and so I was like, okay, like if we kind of tighten things down, we can, we can be okay and we can pay most of our bills and, you know, and I'll try and do something else. But what happened was my, I just felt like my body just kind of shut me down. And it was like, it was saying, hey, you've been running from all of this pain and trauma and all of this stuff. And now, you know, you've come out with it and you've kind of turned over a new leaf and everything. 
but you're still not dealing with it. And it's time to deal with it. So I am shutting you down. <laughs> and you're going to sleep and you're going to just kind of like relax. And you're just, just going to work on feeling okay with yourself. Um, and when you do, when you get to that point, maybe I'll let you function enough that you can get a job again. Um, and so like, I just kind of couldn't do anything. I was just minimally functional, um, which was very stressful for Mitzi. So we had lots of talks about like, when are you going to get a job? And I'd be like, I don't know. And I would apply for jobs and like, um, it was almost worse when I, when I would get them or I would like get accepted or like onto the next level, you know, of the, of the hiring process. And I would almost just get this panic attack. Like I can't do this. Like if I get this job and I go in, I'm just gonna, you know, it's just going to be another disaster and I'm going to have some boss, you know, threatening me and passing judgment on me and stuff. Just like, just like God and the Bishop have, have done my whole life. And I can't do it. And so I just, you know, tried to look into things that I could do that don't involve working for somebody else. Um, uh, and, you know, but I just was, was barely functioning for, for a long time. And I'm still, mm -hmm. I'm still not functioning mm -hmm. that great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. So, yeah, you want to kind of give your side on that? I mean, it's just been hard. Like, Scott's work stuff's been kind of crazy the whole time we've been married. But it's just, like, the last several years when we've been dealing with all this stress, it's been worse. And so that's been, like, it's like, wow, can't we have, like, one thing that's not stressful? Like, right. we're dealing with church stuff and we're dealing mm -hmm. with, like, whatever, sex stuff. And then it's like job stuff. And it's just like, seriously. And then four kids, like eight and under or whatever. It's just like, yeah. can't anything like kind of be going okay. So we have our health. Yeah, that's true. We're pretty healthy, <laughs> but well, you're mentally not very healthy. So yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll get that. Anyway. Longer. Um, but like, especially when he quit his job in, and I knew, I knew it was coming cause he was just so miserable forever. And I was just really trying to be like, okay, like, this is okay. Like, I, I've had to have a lot of faith in Scott, like, and be like, I know that he's going to get through this, but I also know it's going to take time and just being patient through all of that and not being, um, too, I don't know. Well, it, it's. It's really hard. I mean, the appearances are really hard to deal with, too. I mean, there's a lot of stigma with being, uh, with seeming to be voluntarily unemployed um, mm -hmm. as a man with a family. And that was hard for me, and it was hard for Mitzi. Yeah, you know, she, she'd too. go and, you know, she's like meeting new people, and one of the first questions people always ask is like, oh, what does your husband do? Yeah. Oh, nothing. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. and it's just, and, yeah. you know, that's, that's stressful too. Um, but just, we just have kind of had to get over caring about that stuff, which is not easy. 
Um, you kind of have to get over that with leaving the church. I mean, you don't get mm-hmm. over it, but like you can't leave the church if you can't get over it a little bit. Yeah. Because you have to know that everyone's going to be judging you forever. Mm-hmm. So you have to let go of that a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I knew, and I mean, it's still in process, but like, I still think yeah. it's like, it's going to work out. Like I've always had faith in that, that it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And we're going to keep on keeping yeah. on. Yeah. But I mean, he's, I got a job actually in March because I was just like, maybe if I can help ease some of the financial burden. And if for a minute I was actually thinking about maybe I'll go back to work full time, which I didn't want to do. But I was like, maybe that's what we should do. And in the meantime, I found a job um, teaching Chinese kids online. And so it's perfect because it's at home and it's part time. I can choose the hours that I want. And that has been really good. And it's also been good from kind of my own self-esteem and self-worth, like leaving the church and like identity loss. It's like it's kind of nice stepping into this role as a teacher. Well, I am a te- I have a teaching degree but mm-hmm. I haven't worked in 10 years and it's just like oh it's nice to be able to have this extra thing this distraction that I actually enjoy and it's making money and it's easing easing our financial stresses so that's been a good thing and Scott started his own Amazon business and that's actually started making money lately too so it's yeah. like things are like picking up But there was a six-month period between, like, leaving the church and Scott quitting his job that was just so difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds like it. And, Mitzi, is that what you were referring to earlier when you talked about how it was really tough uh, to be an ex-Mormon? or is is this No, that's different. (laughs) Okay. We could talk about that now. Well, before we talk about that, I just kind of want to talk about how um, I'm trying to rebuild my life because I'm – I'm, it's like, okay, I don't like that I'm an ex-Mormon, but like, what can I do to be happy? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm very proactive. It's like, this is not a life that I would have chosen for myself, but here I am. And what am I going to do about it? And so like, I immediately started private messaging people that were in Facebook groups that I noticed were local. And I would invite like these strangers to come over and they would come over and they would leave friends. You know, like within mm-hmm. the first meeting, it's like, that's the great thing about ex-Mormons is there's an immediate, you know how there's a connection with Mormons? There's immediate, even stronger connection with ex-Mormons because you know what it's like to go through the trauma of leaving the church and you have this instant bond mm-hmm. in that. And so I had made friends um, through just messaging people. And then I also found like an online um, local women's group of a bunch of like fringe to ex-Mormon women in the area. And I started doing monthly meetups with them and I started a book club with them. And I've just been very proactive about building back my friendships and community because I'm I can't be Mormon anymore and I can't do that anymore. But I still need friends. I still need community I still need connection and so I'm just super proactive about that and that's and that's been a huge help for me because most of most of these women that she's reaching out to have husbands too who are typically also um Mm -hmm. ex-Mormon um 
And uh, so I've been uh, able to kind of ride Mitzi's proactive coattails um, to uh, rebuilding a social network as well. And that's, that's been really huge for me. Um, I, you know, it took a, it took a long time. I mean, it wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago that um, I, uh, well, to put it a better way, there is, there was a long time where I just was, was very isolated and I wasn't reaching out to, to anybody like to any friends or anything like that. Um, and I was just kind of trying to work through stuff on my own because that's kind of how I've been accustomed to doing things. So that's what I had to do with porn. I couldn't tell anybody about that. I couldn't get any help with that. I had to figure it out on my own. And so that's what I practiced doing. And so that was kind of what I was doing, doing with this. Um, and it was really, and it was really hard too, because, you know, it's like, like, Oh, you left the church and, and you know, you know, God doesn't hate you anymore. And uh, don't you feel better? And it's like, yeah, I do. But I also feel terrible still for a lot of other reasons. And it's complicated. And there are, I'm feeling a lot of different things at the same time. Um, and so, you know, it was, so I just had, and, and, and still just have a lot of mental health issues. I, when I, when I was getting ready to quit my job, I went back to, to counseling, um, with, a with a woman I, I met, um, in college actually, uh, who was not a member of the church, which is, you know, that was one of the big reasons why I went to her was I was like, okay, like I really, you know, like you, I think you're a compassionate, kind person and you're not a Mormon. So I feel like I can come and talk to you. And that was, that was really good, but it also kind of felt like I kind of plateaued as far as what talk therapy was able to do for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I started to realize that there's, that what I, what I'm, what I'm dealing with is a deep and, you know, lifelong issue that's kind of has its, you know, has its roots throughout my entire body. And I, you know, it's going to take a long time to sort that out. And so, you know, during this time, like I, yeah, I would get super depressed and feel very suicidal after my fashion where, you know, it was just kind of like I would look at the future and look at my life and just think, wow, it's just going to be a lot more pain and suffering and what's the point? Um, and, you know, and just get in, in those, that irrational mindset where, you know, it just, it was really, it was really hard. And one time, you know, and, and one time, and this, ha this happened, this has happened multiple times over the last year. Um, and at one, one point, uh, I said to Mitzi, I was just like, I think I need friends. 
mm-hmm. I said, I think I need to talk to some, like, to to meet with somebody, you know, just like as a friend and, and just go and spend social time with another adult man, you know, and just kind of because I don't have that in my life. And apparently, I think I need that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And so, so I call, so I called the, the husband of one of the, these women that, that Mitzi had met, um, and that we'd met with a couple of times as couples. And I was like, Hey, will you go and get some ice cream with me? And, <laughs> and he kind of laughed about it. He's like, yeah, totally. And so we went, you know, and, and met up and ended up talking for like five hours. And, and I talked to him about, about this and how I was just like, thanks so much for coming out. I'm, I am in a bad place. Like, and this is, you know, and I'm, and, um, and I don't really know what to do with it, but I felt like I needed to just get out and start, you know, connecting with, with somebody. Um, and he also had his own, you know, ex Mormon, journey and was dealing with his stuff too and he just said and he was like i know exactly what you mean and i'm here anytime and he's like i'm so glad you called and let's do it again and funny enough we've ended up you know kind of having a semi-regular ice cream date that has grown to include several other um ex-mormon husbands from the area (laughs) some bro dates yeah some bro dates that we all get together and um, and have ice cream and uh, just talk about you know drama with our families and drama with the church and you know all the things that suck about being an ex Mormon, but then also all the things that we love mm-hmm. about being an ex Mormon mm-hmm. and just all of it together and it's so uh, and we also we talk about sex sex stuff a lot. I think because all of us are kind of coming from the same repressed and judgment laden background and have all of this, all of these conversations that we have wanted to have with people, but have never had just getting in there and talking about these things that we have never been able to talk about with, with anybody and talk about without judgment. And it's um, been so, it's been so great just to make to make friends and and really help kind of counterbalance that um isolation that i'm i'm so used to and yet coming to realize is not a healthy thing for me and something that i need to actively kind of be be pushing back against and so i'm i'm incredibly grateful for all of the just everything that Mitzi's done to rebuild our social network and for all the, the wonderful people that, that we've met who have, who have befriended me um, as well. And it's been, so yeah, it's just like, there are wonderful things that yeah, happen. Yeah, there's lots of wonderful, lots of terrible. Amidst all of the terrible <laughs> stuff that's also happening at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, I will just say like, what I hate about being an ex-Mormon is like, I hate the way that, I'm perceived by my family and friends that are Mormons. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I don't know, maybe it's not, but it feels worse where I'm from a small town 
and my parents still live there. And it's like my whole town knows that I've left the church. And it's like, it's a huge deal. So it just feels bigger and worse. Like when your whole hometown knows and like, anyway, so I just hate, I hate that. And I hate being, feeling like an outsider in my family. Like I'm the only one out in my family. I have eight siblings and everybody's we're in the temple and all six of my brothers went on missions and, and it's like tomorrow my parents are in the temple presidency in Idle Falls, in Idle Falls temple. And tomorrow they're um, dedicating the Idle Falls temple. And it's like, my parents are speaking in the noon session and it's broadcasting to Idaho. And like, I won't be listening to that, you know? And it's like, I don't want to listen to it cause I'd probably hate them. I would hate their talk. <laughs> because <laughs> it would just make me upset but it's just being the out being an outsider in my family and not being a part of like something that's so sorry that's so <laughs> huge to them and was so huge to me and I just I just hate that I hate being an outsider in my family and I yeah. feel like it's just will always be there there you can't you know if you leave the church like it's a divorce like I have to kind of mourn the death of old me, but I also have to deal with this divorce with the church because it's always going to be in our lives. There will always be baby blessings from nieces and nephews and, and baptisms and my mom and my parent. Anyway, they're always going to be talking about church stuff always. Mm -hmm. So I just hate, I hate that. That's what I hate the most about being an ex Mormon. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I can, I can hear how, how devastating that is for you. Whew. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about what uh, I know before we we're recording. You wanted to to end on what what y'all are grateful for. Are are y'all ready for that? Do you want to go there? Yeah. Well, actually, one one last thing. Um, oh sure. Mm -hmm. Before before that was so we we kind of debate debated this. Um, you know, but uh, since a lot of our prior pod podcast was about you know the porn and sexuality messaging in the church and stuff like that. Um, uh, I felt like we should say something about kind of what, what we've learned um, and, and stuff over the last year and kind of dealing with that now as we were moving away from that framework um, and trying to, you know, continue to improve that, that part of our, our relationship and, uh, mm -hmm. You know, in short, it's complicated and it's it's yeah. still a challenge. It's not, again, like, you know, one of those things where it's like, oh, you left the church and you kind of are your own boss and so you can do whatever you want. And doesn't that all just work out? I'm like, well, no, it doesn't, actually. Um, it's it's a pretty complicated uh, thing. And, and so, you know, we're we're still working on that, but it's but it's really nice to again, just be able to have, to have conversations without having to be concerned about like what, you know, if God is going to approve or, you know, punish us for, for this or that or, or, or things like that, or there are going to be consequences with like church for, um, for this or that. And so having, having that that freedom has been. Has I don't been really feel nice. that freedom. But so that, that has still, also been an issue because. Yeah. 
I still, I mean, I'm not sure where I'm at with God stuff, but, like, I still feel a lot of, like, I feel like God cares about, you know, sexuality and, like, it's, mm-hmm. I still see it mm-hmm. in a lot of negative ways. Okay. And so that's still kind of, like, something that I am still working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so that's a conversation that we've had a lot over the last year is where I've kind of thrown this out and for me it was just like all all of this negative shame messaging about sexuality came from people you know presuming to talk for god and they were projecting their own you know what they were taught you know and their own kind of spiritual and cultural baggage um onto these messages and I was very, you know, it was very easy for me to just throw that out and just be like, you know what, God, you know, if he's if he's out there, he doesn't care. Like as long as everybody's, you know, being, you know, consensual and healthy and, you know, considerate and and all those things. It's like, but other than that, it's just like who who cares? Um, God doesn't. Uh, but that's, Mitzi isn't there yet. Uh, and that's a conversation we've had a lot. So it's like, we'll be, we'll be reading a book or an article or something like that. And I'll say like, wow, this was so interesting the way they think about this or the way they said this. And I'd have her read that. She'd be like, wow, that makes me really uncomfortable. I'm like, <laughs> why? Like, cause that just, I don't know. And, and I keep kind of wanting to dig into that like where where is that discomfort coming from where where are these feelings coming from and a lot of times it comes back to i don't know i just feel like god cares about that and that that's not something that you know is is okay uh with you know with god or that's that attitude is not okay or that whatever it is um and so that's, and that just, again, kind of reaffirms to me just how, how deep this, this programming is, um, you know, with, with this, this discomfort about, uh, and, and thinking that, that God is, you know, is very much preoccupied with a couple's sexual, you know, behaviors and stuff like that, and which, you know, seems on the one hand very silly, but on the other hand, where you've been, it's been such a big deal for so long, and you've been taught with such heavy and severe language that that's the case, that's really hard to just, to just get over. Um, and the feelings that are, that come along with that are, are hard to, to let go of. So. Yeah, and I still have to, like, try to work on, like, my sexuality, like, like, um, I have to make efforts to be sexual, like, I have to, I try to, like, it's like I almost do my homework, it's like, okay, I'm gonna listen to a sex podcast today, so that Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it, or, like, it helps to watch shows, especially, like, post-Mormon now, it's like, we're watching more radar shows, so there's more sexual scenes in it, and that is actually, that's helpful, and, like, reading i'm reading the book come as you are that's what it's mm-hmm. called yeah, yeah and that's really good that's a great, great book about halfway through yeah anyway so it's like i it's just something that i 
keep have to I keep having to working on. Yeah, yeah, and and one thing that I really liked about about that book and um, Come as You Are is she you know she gives the um, concept of you have your sexual accelerator and your sexual break, and you know and they work you know your accelerator is all the things that are telling you yes. Like now, yeah, now is a good life. time to be aroused, you know, and, and to, to get ready to, to be sexual. And then your the break is, you know, all the things that are telling you this is not a good time. And so that, you know, idea of God, you know, scrutinizing what you're thinking and saying and doing and feeling about sexuality is a huge break issue. Um, and so, you know, and, and like, no matter how hard you're pressing the accelerator, if your foot's on the brake, you aren't going anywhere. You know, it's kind of like the brakes are typically, you know, uh, um, for a lot of people, a lot stronger. Um, and so if you have a, an oversensitive brake, it's really difficult to um, to get comfortable and, and, and get things going. So um, that that's kind of led it to an issue that we're that we're kind of working through now, which is where. You know, since since forever, um, like the beginning of our our marriage, it's just like my I my brake was a lot less sensitive and my accelerator was a lot more sensitive. Where Mitzi's it was the opposite, which I think is fairly common for you know men and women um, in general and especially in the church. And so for me, like over all this this time, this you know eleven years. Um, I've been constantly trying to kind of push, push her boundaries a little bit. Um, and, uh, just because her boundaries were everywhere, you know, and, and what was, what was okay and, and comfortable was so constrained, um, that it was really hard to have a, 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 a meaningful, fulfilling you know, sexual relationship without pushing some of those boundaries out. But like, I've been kind of doing that for so long. Um, oh, and I should back up and say another, another thing that in the, in come as you are that she says that I really liked is she talks about the idea of a reactive arousal template. And when I read that, I just thought, Oh, that's totally how Mitzi is. You know, it's this idea of people who can get, you know, aroused and get into sexuality, but they typically only do it as a reaction to something else, to some other stimulus coming in, you know, or like someone else initiating. And so, you know, with the reactive arousal template, typically that person is not going to be initiating and not going to be thinking about it just kind of organically. Um, and it's going to take more of that conscious effort. And so that made a, made a lot of things made sense when I read that. And I was just like, oh, that makes so much more sense. But then I was kind of stuck with this idea of it's like, but I've been kind of the one initiating and, and, and pushing and trying to get things going for so long. And uh, a, a podcast uh, I listened to called referred to that as being a sexual Sherpa, you know, like the Sherpas that train people to go up Everest and mm -hmm. stuff like that and trying kind of leading someone along and it's 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 work and it's exhausting to do 
Um, and so kind of at, at this point, it's like we've learned a lot and we've come so far, but I'm kind of a burned out sexual Sherpa. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's there's still a lot more we have to do, but it's it's really hard for me to to continue playing that role. Um, and then with the, you know, reactive arousal template and everything like that, where it's like Mitzi's still typically more, you know, the reactive partner, but where I'm not up to initiating as much, we, we're just kind of stuck a little bit. Plus we're both just totally exhausted all the time from all of this, you know, from just the emotional weight of going through this, this faith transition. Um, and jobs and, and like jobs more than and one kids. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And all this stuff. So it's, right. it's, it's tough. And so it's like, I think we would both, you know, it's just like the other day we were just like, man, we should, you know, it's like, Oh, we haven't had sex for a while. And then we finally like both kind of like, all right, we got to do it. It's been too long. You know, let's, let's make it happen. And then we made it happen. We're just like, Oh, that was great. We should do this more often. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, but it's, it's just, it's just really, really hard um, to do because of all, all these, all these things. So um, anyway, the, the, the work and the challenges and the journey continue on that front. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the good, good stuff. All right. <laughs> Wrap it up. Do you want to go or do you want me so, to go? So, um, you go. Okay. So, um, like I said before, like this isn't a path that I would have chosen for myself, but it's like, that's where I ended up and I don't have regrets and I wouldn't have done anything differently. So here I am now. But what I do love about, there's lots of things that I loved about the journey. And one of them is just being able to just love people wholeheartedly without conditions is amazing. And just love everyone and not have to worry about what they are doing, how they're behaving or what they believe. Like, that's an amazing gift. Yeah, and it's like, and for me at least, it's like I didn't even realize how conditional my love and acceptance of people was while I was Mormon until I got out. And I was just like, Holy cow. Like you, like I was judging everybody all the time and looking for all these little indicators of whether they were, you know, a good person and, you know, someone who I could really wholeheartedly accept. And there were, you know, fewer people than more who would pass that bar. And now it's just like, none of that doesn't matter. And you can meet someone, you know, where they're at and however they are mm -hmm. and just accept them and love them. Um, you know, exactly as they are. And that's, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous and wonderful feeling that I had no idea I was, I had been missing my whole life. Yeah, and what I love, too, is, like, I like being a safe person that someone can talk to because I feel like as a Mormon, especially as a strict Mormon as I was, I was not a safe person to talk to. And I just, um, I was I was always a hardcore visiting teacher, and years ago I started visiting teaching this girl who was less active. And 
later as I became inactive and she was more active, she invited me over as I was leaving the church just to talk to me. And she told me that when I first came over to visit teach her, she just thought she was trying to get back into the church. And, and I came over and she just said, she looked at me and just said, I can never be that. I can never be her, mm-hmm. you know? And so like being someone that people like feel like they can't reach or achieve, like, and now that all of our baggage is out there and like, we just like at the very bottom of the, of the hill, it's like, I'm so approachable now. <laughs> to people. So, you know, there's that, mm-hmm. but just like when I came out on Facebook about leaving the church, I shared our story and people automatically felt like they could share stuff with me. And I had this girl that I went to high school with who messaged me and she's still in the church but she just messaged me all of her old skeletons and I don't know why she did. I feel like she just wanted to share it with someone and felt like I was safe because of all of the stuff that I'd just thrown out to the world. And so that's a huge gift too, is being able to feel like I hope that people feel like they can come and talk to me about whatever mm-hmm. and I'm not going to judge them and I'm just going to sit there and be with them in their pain or in whatever the situation is. And that's not who I was before. I wouldn't have been able to do that before. And so that's, that's an amazing gift. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I think, um, again, I just, I just love being able to take in life and the world and people as they are without having to shoehorn them into this, this worldview or this belief system um, that may not, may not work for them uh, and may not be accommodating for them. And, and, you know, and to have, have experiences um, that, you know, maybe don't fit within a gospel context, but uh, being able to still have, you know, still assign value to those um, and say like, no, that was genuinely valuable, even though it wasn't necessarily like a spiritual experience or, or, or whatever it is that was, um, and, you know, and, and being able to, to, to read things and, and listen to people who are talking about things in, in life that have nothing to do with, <laughs> with God or with the scriptures or with uh, all this other stuff and being able to really invest in that and, and be interested in that and not feel like, you know, it's taking away from, you know, what's more important, you know, like the, the, the gospel and stuff. Like I, one of the quotes that gets, I think thrown around a bit in churches, the, but if the good is the enemy of the best, and it's like, you know, oh, doing that is good, but what's well, best is going to church or, or whatever the example is that they give. Or if you're enjoying a hobby, but maybe you should be at the temple. Yeah, or something, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something like that. It's yeah. like, oh, you want to go out on a date with your wife, like to see a movie, but wouldn't it be better to go on a date to the temple? No. You know, and just being able to <laughs> kind of throw all of that away and not have and be able to to just live live life more um more organically and based on what what feels what feels right and 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 good um 
for for myself and for for my family and and uh, you know and, and everybody. Um, and another thing that uh, I well just a, a, a hopeful note is uh, I just started a new um, therapy doing uh, EMDR. Uh, which I wasn't super familiar with. Oh, well, good. Um, but I had heard from several uh, transitioning Mormons who also expressed that they felt like they had kind of plateaued with talk therapy, that they then tried e, uh, EMDR, and that that really helped them break through and kind of process and metabolize some of this long-standing trauma and and pain that they've been carrying around for years and years and years so um i've only been to one appointment um but uh talking to this lady uh and as she was kind of explaining the the process and how it works and everything like that um it actually was gave me hope that i may be able to get to resolve some of this this stuff um, that I have just kind of been resigned to carrying with me and dealing with for the rest of my life. Um, and I may not have to do that. So I'm cautiously optimistic uh, mm -hmm. that that will, that, um, that that will work and that that will, will help me uh, with some of this, this depression and chronic kind of, suicidal ideation and stuff like that, that that's been that's been plaguing me for for so long. Um, so but and, and the last thing that I just really like about having left the church is being able to look at my kids and know that if one of them is gay or one of them um, doesn't want to have kids, doesn't want to have kids or one of them wants to, you know, do some weird Go travel the world job. and never get married. Yeah, travel the world, never get married. Like, you know, whatever it is. What that Not whatever mold. Yeah, yeah, but whatever our kids want to do and want to be and and, and even right now, like they are that we can just love them. Just love them mm -hmm. and accept them and and let them know that no matter you know, no matter what, and I know a lot of, I know we said this as Mormons, you know, and uh, I know my parents said it too. It's like, no, we love you no matter what. But when that came from a Mormon, in my mind, I always knew that there was a big but in there um, that included all of those conditions that you have to meet as a Mormon. And now... I can say, you know, we can say to our kids, we love you no matter what, uh, what Period. you want to eat. And there's no, but yeah. there, and that just feels so, so good. Uh, and so I, I love that. And I hope that that's, that's something we're really going to be able to, to execute on. And that is going to be kind of a new family tradition that, our kids, should they choose to have kids, will be able to pass on as well. Just um, love and, and acceptance of people, no matter who they are and and how they choose to live. God, that is exciting. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really 
looking forward to you know staying in touch with you guys over the years and and hearing about all your adventures and and you know these these moments that you're going to have with your kids and wow that's something Thanks again for listening to Healthy Mormon Journeys. If you liked what you heard and want to protect relationships facing faith differences, even just $10 a month will do so much to keep the podcast going and fund relationship counseling sessions by psychologists to couples and families in need. If you, like me, believe that no family should be torn apart over religion, please consider a donation and spread the word that love is more powerful than fear. Thank you for listening. Pray.